I don't know where you are this morning. I mean, I know you're here. But where your mind and heart is. But I've talked with so many people recently whose heart is heavy, burdened over all kinds of things. And I've just been in this odd place of so excited about so many great things that I'm seeing and hearing from people and heartbroken over the pain that so many are going through. Now, the truth is, that's all the time. There's always something good happening, and there's always heartbreak. And as we even looked at last Sunday, the first part of this message, wanting to be a noticer, one of the things that in some conversation with the Lord this week was, okay, I'd like to stop noticing for a while. Because I'm noticing some tough stuff. And then I remember, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And then I remember, God is still God. When things are awesome, and when we can't imagine it being any worse, he's still God in all of that. And this Sunday for the third time, talking about the heart, we looked at the heart of God a couple of weeks ago, and last week, the heart of your pastor, we're going to finish that today. I'm just thinking about, you know, what's on people's hearts. And I, you know, I mentioned the thing about, you know, having the thing, hey, are you feeling okay? And looking at the monitors and the monitor says the heart's not doing good. Well, most of us don't need a monitor to tell us when we're not doing good, right? And I was thinking through this about the heartbeat. And any one that has a, 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 there's a pregnancy in the family, one of the first things is to hear that heartbeat. It's one of the most exciting things there is. One of the most devastating, if they can't find it then. Because that heartbeat indicates life. It's been with families when they've heard that heartbeat. Boom, with families shortly after the birth of a, a baby and, you know, just seeing that life Unfortunately, I've been with some families when the baby was born, but didn't make it. First funeral I ever participated in as a minister was a 10-year-old who had drowned. The thing I couldn't stop doing was staring at the casket that was only this long. The heartbeat when we're excited or scared. Stood with a family, a mom and dad, a wife, and siblings, while we watched the monitor go down on a 39-year-old. 
stood with some families when grandma was passing. And in each of those times, we were all staring at that monitor, measuring that heartbeat. Every time, whether it was the infant, the middle-aged, or the older, one of the things that struck me was life matters. And we need to make it matter while we're still here. I've read some studies recently. Maybe you have too. They've been promoted in different places of individuals who've uh, interviewed um, those in their 90s and above. Asking them questions about life. What advice would they have to their younger self or to the rest of us? And also if they had any regrets. I never heard anybody express or read anybody express regret over almost anything except what they wish they would have done. Well, sometimes it was over something they did they wish they wouldn't have, but so often it was, I wish I would have repaired this relationship. I wish I would have tried this. I wish I would have. Uh, the one thing I fear most as a pastor is that whenever the day comes that I'm no longer a pastor, I don't want to be sitting there saying, I wish I would have said. That's what last week and this week is a little bit about. Not, not because I'm coming to the end, at least not as far as I know. And... You haven't told me I am, so. But just thinking through that, to hear the heart. What matters most? We looked last week from Matthew chapter 9 and also in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, chapters 14 and 15 in particular. And I said to, to hear my heart, to understand that we need to have compassion and prayer as we labor, as we serve. We need to become noticers, people who notice the people around us, people who are crying out to be noticed for someone to see them because they're hurting. We have to care about those we notice, just like Jesus did. That we need to have total dependence on God. First or Second Chronicles 14 and 15, King Asa, and how he just cried out to God. And God answered the prayer. He doesn't always answer it the way he did for Asa. But he answered that prayer. And the reason he answered it was there was total dependence on God. It was literally one of those things about, Lord, without you, we aren't going to make it. The army is too big that's coming against us. Well, you realize that's true for all of us? Without him, we're not going to make it eternally. To have total dependence on him. Leaning on God as if our whole life depended on it. Because it does. Crying out to God. For guidance. For strength. For boldness and courage. For our very existence. I have two other things I want to look at this morning. The first one. Is from Second Chronicles chapter 16. For you see, King Asa had a great beginning. 
In fact, he had a long kingship, and for 30-some years, he depended on God and did what he wanted. And then, unfortunately, something changed. At the beginning of chapter 16 of Second Chronicles, we see that another army began to invade their territory. Only this time, unlike in chapter 14, where he cried out to God, he turned to another king who had a powerful army and said, I'll pay you this much if you'll come and take care of them for us. And that king did, and that army left, and they felt like they won a great victory. But unfortunately, that's not really what happened. Verse 7 of Second Chronicles chapter 16 says, At that time, Hanani, the seer or, or prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped. Were not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? If you remember, the army was over a million men. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those who, <coughs> excuse me, whose heart is blameless toward him. You've done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. Then Asa was angry. Truth tellers often have people get angry with them. Asa was angry with the seer and put him in, in stocks in prison, for he was in a rage because of this. And Asa then inflicted cruelties even upon some of the people at that time. And maybe saddest. It says in verse 12, in his 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. In fact, other things tell us that it, it went throughout his body. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. What happened? To go from total dependence on God, saying, Lord, if you don't, if you don't rescue us, we won't make it, to not even asking God for healing or comfort in the disease. What happened? It's something that happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. One of the things that breaks my heart and burdens my heart is that we need to be resisting the spiritual slide. To resist the spiritual slide. The spiritual slide is when we begin to lean on ourselves, on our own strength and wisdom, rather than God's. Spiritual slide, when we begin to lean on ourselves and our own strength and wisdom rather than God's. How often do we do that? Oh Lord, I don't need to call on you. I got this one. Man, the, the Israelites, if you read in the Old Testament, the accounts of that nation as God saved them and then they turned away from him and he saved them and they turned away from him. Oh, each time they eventually cried out to him again, but how much better would it have been if they'd have just kept crying out to him all along? Instead of treating God as the emergency room doctor that we run to when we have a sharp pain and then we ignore 
once we feel better. The spiritual slide is so dangerous, it leads us. Asa didn't just one day decide this. It was a process that happened over time. First he ignored one thing from God, then another, then another, until suddenly he was not only turning from God, not depending on God, he was mad at those who were. One of the ways we can resist the spiritual slide is through discipleship. Being discipled and discipling others. Helping in whatever way others along the path that we are on. You don't have to have been a follower of Christ for a long time to help disciple somebody else. You just need to be one step ahead of them and tell them, I just took this step, come on. But all of us who are followers of Christ need to be looking to help others in their journey. I don't care what you call it, mentoring, discipling, there's all kinds of words and phrases. We could go through 20 names probably. My point is we got to help each other to resist the spiritual slide and in fact to grow in our relationship with Christ. That's why groups matter. That's why whether it's a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a small group of any kind, whether it's a men's breakfast or a ladies' breakfast, any of those things where we gather together and we get a chance to speak into each other's lives on the regular everyday stuff as well as the big stuff. Because if we're looking to help each other in the regular everyday stuff, we're going to see the big stuff sometimes before it becomes big. See, to make a course correction when you're just slightly off is so much easier than when you have to completely turn around. Have you ever messed up on GPS? Missed the turn? They, they don't do it as, at least our, mine doesn't do it the way it used to. The old GPS systems that were separate from your phone, if you went the wrong way, it would say, rerouting, 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 and then it would say, now go this way. Now they, they don't quite say it that way, though they're still annoyed at you if you've noticed that. How many of you would like to apply for the job of being the voice on those? I would love that. I would love that. Turn around, you... Yeah. I said turn left! I... I I think that would be a blast. I would love to, for somebody to create one of those that was real life voice instead of the calm one saying rerouting. It'd be the person going, what are you doing? I told you to turn left. Okay, stop. Now let's redirect this. Do you realize that God's trying to do that with us all the time? It's in his word if we're looking at it. It's in the fellowship. It's why coming together matters. That's why getting together, not just in this group, but in other groups matters. Where we can have discussions, ask questions, and realize that somebody else cares. We need to resist the spiritual slide. The spiritual slide is also when we neglect his word and prayer. When we neglect God's word and prayer. 
I've never seen a case of an individual or a church who was spending time really reading the Word, time praying, that ever got very far off course. It's when we begin to neglect it that we begin to slide. See, the spiritual slide is when we think we don't need to connect with other Christ followers as well. It's another reason that that discipleship in small groups gathering corporately matters. It's a reason even giving matters. It connects us to one another. It connects us to the ministries we do. And in our case, with our denomination, it connects us to people worldwide. It matters. The spiritual slide happens when we quit connecting with other Christ followers as well as with Christ himself. The spiritual slide is when we begin to think that not all of Scripture applies to us. And we don't literally cut our Bible up, but we begin to start cutting out parts of it in our mind because that's irrelevant to me or that's outdated. I'm discovering the more I read the Word, the more relevant it is. I'm discovering the more I read the Word, the more I'm looking and going, this is today's headlines right here. Sometimes, word for word. That's why I mention often and plead, read the Word. Pray. The more I read it, the more I pray about what I've read, the more I realize it applies to me. And I've read through the Bible a whole bunch of times, and every time I'm reading through and going, wait a minute, I read this last year. That was not there. Well, it was. I either wasn't in a position that it was a great um, that's a bad phrase. I was not in a position where it mattered as much to me or I wasn't ready to receive it. We need to stop the spiritual slide in each, in ourselves and help each other. Not in condemning, not in judging, but in relationship. That's why having relationships matters. Because somebody in your relationship, you can come alongside and go, you're doing what? You can't do that to somebody you don't know. Oh, some of you try, but it doesn't go over well, does it? But to be in relationship with them, they're going to pay attention. And then also, we need undivided hearts. I probably could have put this one first and then said all the rest of it falls under this. To have undivided hearts... Matthew chapter 6. This is so good. This is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Where God is speaking. It's such a powerful section of scripture in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. But in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoured to the, but, excuse me, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and anything else. To be devoted with an undivided heart. Loyal and focused in one thing. You know, I've noticed through the hundreds of wedding ceremonies that I've done, nowhere did I ever use, nor did anyone ever request me to use, a vow that said, I promise to be devoted to you and someone else. Or, I promise to be devoted to you six of the seven days each week. But we try to do that to God. Have you noticed? Lord, I'm devoted to you unless it's inconvenient. I read something the other day that talked about, have you noticed that we always find it easier to obey God when it's convenient, and yet it's rarely convenient? Obedience doesn't have anything to do with circumstance. It has to do with commitment. Following God's word and God's law, what he desires of us and from us, to have an undivided heart means we don't allow anything to compete with God and for our attention or loyalty. Now, some immediately on hearing that say, well, yeah, but my family, that's exactly right. And if you are totally committed to God, your family is going to be better off for it because you're going to be more devoted to them. The problem is when we're not devoted to God, we get devoted to other things that literally pull us away. When we're devoted to God, it draws us in with our family, not separating us from. To have a totally undivided heart, to not let other things compete with the loyalty we have. Undivided hearts worship better. In prayer, in song, in reading, in giving, in fellowship. An undivided heart. In fact, an undivided heart will be gripping God's will and God's word so hard that nothing can distract us from following him. In the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, the story is told of some of David's mighty men. There were 30 mighty men, and different ones are mentioned individually. And one of those is Eleazar in verses 9 and 10 of 2 Samuel 23. 
It's talking about a battle against the Philistines, one of the enemies they always were going up against. And in this case, Eleazar, they were fighting against. The rest of the army dropped back, and he kept fighting, and he fought so long and so hard that depending on the version, the translation, it says that his hand clung to the sword, was stuck on the sword, or frozen to the sword, depending on your translation. Have you ever held something so long, been doing something so long that you had to kind of pry your fingers off of it? Or have you ever had to try, pry something out of a child's hand that they were supposed to let go of and didn't want to? So picture that. Only we are holding on to God's will that hard. Lord, no matter what. I'm so humbled when I read stories of early missionaries who took ships. That was the only way they could get to the country they were going to. And they packed their belongings in their own coffins, knowing they weren't coming back. We have kids on the mission field. They pack their stuff in suitcases and duffel bags. I can't imagine being the family standing there saying goodbye when you help them load their coffin onto the ship. Undivided. Whatever you say, Lord, wherever you call, whatever you desire, holding on so tight that nothing can distract us. There are times that we can be so focused on something we don't pay attention to what's going on around us, right? Now, sometimes we're accused of other things. You're not, you're not listening or whatever. And sometimes that's true. But other times we are so focused on it, we literally didn't hear anything else. Didn't see anything else. I watched an interview with a professional athlete just recently. They were talking about a time where they were in the World Series. That's baseball for those of you uninitiated. And they had made a game-winning, series-winning play. And they were asking because they were showing the replay of it with the crowd noise, and it was mind-boggling how loud it was. And they said, how much did the crowd affect you? He said, I didn't even hear them. Until the play was over. I said, how could that be? I mean, there were 70,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs at you. He said, I was so focused on what I needed to do. I didn't hear anything else until it was done. Imagine living for Christ in such a way. That none of the world's attractions can distract you because you are so focused on his will say wait a minute last week you told us to be noticers oh trust me if you're focused on his will you will be noticing those things because that's his will but to be so focused on that we aren't tempted by the things that try to call us away 
Go back and look at Adam and Eve in Genesis. The temptation, the temptation is always to think of yourself first. That's not fair that God won't let you eat that fruit. By the way, one of Satan's things, you can always tell Satan because he makes you think a lot about unfairness. Ouch. But if we would focus on God's will, God's word, doing what he asks of us, when he's asking it, not doing what he hasn't asked, those other distractions would just kind of fly by us because it's not what we're looking for. What are you focused on? My heart is that we would all focus on Christ that way. Because if we are all focusing on Christ, we'll be focused on one another as well because that's part of what he's called us to. And if we're focused on him and the one another's around us, we can reach more and more of those one another's. And they are going to be attracted to anyone and any place that reaches out to others. My biggest fear to do this message has been that I'm not going to get the words right for you to hear what I think we need to hear. And I am absolutely positive that came true. However, I also trust that he is getting the right words to your heart. Because I don't care if anybody remembers that I said anything. But I desperately want you to know what he says. That's my heart. So what are you focused on? And what can we do as we move forward? Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. Oh, Lord, help me to keep being more and more in tune with you. To hear your heart quicker and clearer. And Father, I pray that others who've heard these words, but more importantly, have heard your words these last three weeks, would choose to follow your heart, would choose to be focused, devoted to you, resisting the spiritual slide, noticing those around us. Lord, I pray that we would now follow what you've called us to follow. And Lord, I pray that we would not get focused on anything but your desire. 
May this be so. In Jesus' name, amen.